Ladies and gents, and welcome to the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the marvelous Marvel film and television community. My name is Matt, and joining me once again is the man who says, Hubba Bubba, to the siren of the Strategic Scientific Reserve, it's Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? Who turned out the color? The Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek for Agent Carter episode 209, A Little Song and Dance is brought to you by L&L Automat Key Lime Pie, the dessert that's not a desert. News of the hour! In this segment, we run down the top stories of the episode and give you the latest and the greatest need to know. Pete, where do we begin? In black and white, Matt. What? I thought that it was my, my, my television screen. No, uh, Peggy finds herself in black and white, uh, asks for Daniel, for Rose, anyone. She's in the bullpen of the SSRLA, barges into the chief's office only to find her deceased brother, Michael, with his feet up on the chief's desk. It's, it's artsy and it's odd. Peggy, Peggy, of course, sees it too. It then becomes kind of oddly self-referential as she's talking to Michael, uh, not only about the cinematography, but recapping stuff from from a few episodes ago. And uh, it's it's an interesting start, certainly, Pete. It is, and obviously, we had some forecasting that this was coming. Um, you know, well, you I, did, Pete. I live in a spoiler-free existence. <laughs> well, they. They really threw this out there, Matt, as far as wanting to uh, to get their little song and dance, uh, you know, obviously in in light of the ratings and in light of uh, the pending finale for season two and likely the series as a whole next week um, and wanting to get the eyeballs to this and uh, a grand experiment, you can say, one that I think is very successful in itself, but not overall successful uh, in terms of the series as a whole. But we'll get to that. Um, The discussion between uh, uh, Michael and uh, Peggy uh, and really the whole point of her dream here is what she wants, what she wanted, what she should do. The black and white coloring turns to the green of the L&L Automat, reminiscent of the high point of the series from last season, and it shows the Automat in partial construction. That's supposed to be artsy, too, but there's a certain level where it just kind of comes across as cheap. We get the Angie cameo, but she's arrived in a false way, and that kind of feels false, too. Yeah, and I will preface that we have some mail from uh, some listeners that, uh, you know, social media people have been, have, have been expressing some uh, discontentment with the way this cameo was earned by Lindsay Fonseca, albeit she does have another commitment now. Uh, but she's really kind of, Matt, I would call her a ringleader in this uh, little circus of a, of a musical number. She is Pete, and I think that at this time we should just take note that that love for a show does not mean unconditional love, and uh, and 
you know, we're, we're going to be fair in our appraisal of this episode. So uh, I guess if you're looking for blind love, this ain't it as we head into the musical number. Um, asked, what will it be? Uh, Peggy says, uh, you know, uh, oh, Angie, it's you. What are you doing here? She's busting her hump, working a double. Uh, kind of like us, back-to-back weeks, working a double. I thought that was an interesting line. Surely they didn't film the episode with the idea that four episodes would air over two nights, back-to-back weeks. Um, if they were uh, they were going for irony, they hit it. Um, but uh, shouldn't you be working English? Of course she was. She was in the desert. Oh, you want dessert? You can't go wrong with the key lime pie. Um, what do you want then? Uh, she doesn't know what she wants. Jason is next to her. They dance. The uh, psychosis here of uh, Peggy playing out her issues with him, that she was angry with him over uh, him turning the gun on her, goes there. Uh, Sousa shows up. Matt throws the crutches to the side, of course, because it's a dream. Okay. Um, starts to sing lovely singing voice on uh, Jokai Enver. Am I saying it correctly? You sure are, Pete. Well yeah. done. It's a, it's a tough one to pronounce <laughs> and uh, did a good job. And then we get Peggy singing finally. But the, the substance of the, um, the song with Sousa here, this is, you know, the, the one line, the recipe is simple, me and you. And uh, then once Peggy starts to sing here, it's about, you know, not fighting laws of attraction, chain reactions, et cetera, et cetera. And then she's dancing with both of them, got her in a mess. She still confesses they're both a nice distraction. And that's what this scene is, Matt. It's a nice distraction, but we're no closer to... Uh, resolution of her problem really shouldn't be solved in a dream anyway. It's not like she's going to wake up and say, oh, it's Sousa, it's Wilkes, it's Jarvis, it's the Flamingo. Uh, points for the uh, the girls there. Well, we had Dottie show up, right? Uh, points to as a waitress. And then we had, uh, you know, Dottie, Anna, and um, oh, uh, Whitney dressed as pink flamingos around Jarvis and that's really what what helps her to uh to wake up and oh and Rose punching her across the face <laughs> too of course which I thought was the the best moment of the entire thing Pete it is with your recap that I find myself even more saddened by this scene because I mean it's it, it's a flight of fancy I think that one could could complain about, uh, say, some of the the staging, the blocking that really is kind of play to the back of the back row and not not necessarily tailored for TV. But my bigger complaint is this: we need to be realistic as an audience and understand that if Lindsay Fonseca has another commitment, it's not just as simple as we'll just get her make the time. Part of it is. You know, she, the, the standard TV contract is such that you get one guest star a season outside your normal contract. So, it's, you know, that's to only get her for one scene or for one episode, that's, that's life. But this is a friendship that means 
so much to the audience, and I dare say, Pete, you and I as two guys talking about this show, it's a friendship that means more to the women who watch this show, and and for people who want to see more than a friendship between the two of them, and, and who want to see that for, not for libidinous reasons, but for for reasons of the heart, for all of those reasons, this just feels a bit false, and not not a great first scene in this the penultimate episode of of the season and likely the series for uh viewers and people who pay attention to entertainment the biggest single question that we were asked that we saw people and heard people asking when this show was renewed all the way up through its uh premiere in early January was will Angie come back without a doubt the biggest thing Mm -hmm. that people asked and that speaks to their uh belief in this uh you know what's what's the the female equivalence of a of a bromance um you know what's that a A, womance womance. I think we have said that before actually on uh, one of our fantastic geek uh, podcasts, but um, the the romance here between Peggy and Angie it's a real thing. People feel it, and and there's been interest. Where is she? Where is she? And to get her back here, it it just doesn't feel authentic, and it it feels shoehorned. And I I think you know you're you're so taken aback to get her, and this is a light scene. Um, and it's, it's fun, but with everything going on again, the word I come back to is nice distraction. Maybe that was the point. Um, I'm, I'm not completely sure, but, uh, you know, Peggy wakes up, uh, tied up in a truck next to an unconscious Jarvis and, uh, yeah, here's your title card. Second hour of a, of a double dip second week in a row. It just feels like. We're kitchen sinking it at this point. After the title card, Pete, we have Thompson Souza and uh, and I like to call him Aloysius. I think we're on a we're on a first name. Uh, left in the desert. Um, there's talk of turning your own urine uh, into drink and uh, avoiding. That's what the... you're supposed to do. I I I guess so. Yeah, uh, and also avoiding the radioactive cloud that uh, I guess our other heroes and villains didn't go through before. Um, but Pete. Deus Ex Carina, a car has been sent by Vernon Masters, although in what begins a, a game of tension for the episode, the people in this car aren't necessarily on Thompson's side. Yeah, agents Vega and Blackwell uh, that Sousa explains were the thugs that Vernon Masters sent for him before. How did he know? Because we know they were wearing... Uh, you know, ski masks and the like. Well, that's because Blackwell gargles Aqua Velva. Indeed, and there's the the indication here, Pete, carrying on the thread from from a couple scenes ago, albeit in the in the previous episode, that um, that uh, Thompson and Seuss are going to start to work together as way of an uneasy truce. And uh, I'll give you a little spoiler alert, Pete. This is a notion that I'm not crazy with how they play with it back and forth, but. At least they do play with it back and forth, but we'll get to that. Back we go to the uh, to the truck where Peggy is untying Jarvis, 
and uh, there's the discussion there with Jarvis saying that Whitney deserved to die. Yeah, and Peggy's mad here. They go back and forth. Uh, you know, Jarvis had jeopardized the mission for a personal vendetta, and ever the uh, the company gal keeping her mind on the mission, she takes in a task for it. The story then returns to Thompson, and uh, the 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 presumed ruse is uh, that there's the gun on Thompson, which then appears to be a double play, as Thompson says that whoever has the gun is ID'd as a baddie to uh, Vernon Masters' goons, um, and then perhaps is it a triple turn? It's it's all it's all terribly mysterious. At any rate, Thompson tries to outrank uh, Vega and Blackwell and uh, argues for for Sousa. And uh, and Aloysius to be to be kept alive. I appreciate the misdirection, but again, I come back to that word distraction. It almost felt Jack Thompson throughout this episode all over the place. Yet <laughs> we're going to talk by the end of the episode. We were like, yeah, I, I side with with what he wants, given the predicament that everybody's in. So a, a lot going on in terms of following what's, uh, you know, who's on whose side. Um, Thompson uh, pops Sousa in the gut there, which is always difficult given that the guy is, you know, partially handicapped uh, to see that happen. Pete, for me, it's just kind of narratively mushy and not necessarily to the benefit of the show. This whole notion is Jack playing the goons, is he playing Sousa? It's supposed to be mysterious, but it's just a feeling of muddiness in, in this penultimate episode. Regardless, though, Pete, we get taken to the act break and return still in the desert, getting getting used to that desert shoot. Uh, Peggy and Jarvis are trying to break out of the truck, and Peggy takes off her belt, revealing a gadget, just in time for the really not gadget carrying agent to use her first gadget to gadget her way out of capture. <laughs> yeah, the the hot wire there, I don't seem to recall when that may have been uh given or explained. I maybe that was the point. Uh she uses it there on the chain to get them out. We still have the banter uh apart from the fact that uh Carter throws Jarvis out first. And then they have it out. And Matt, I think this scene here, everything that goes on with them in the desert, uh, the bleeding wasteland, as Jarvis refers to it, is emblematic of uh, what's up with this episode. Yeah, it's odd to see Jarvis pitching a fit, uh, including touching what I would consider to be the precious line of her proving her worth. It's, it's narrative oddness that's, that's going on here. Um, I certainly understand why Jarvis is so uh, emotionally overwhelmed. It's been explained perfectly. It's been set up perfectly, but somehow it's like, you know, two plus two is equaling five here. And I don't quite, something doesn't quite fit, even though I see how we got here. Wilkes wakes up in the back of Whitney Frost's car, driven by, of course, Joseph Manfredi. Hey! Hey, what's up, Joseph? Um, something's wrong, though. And uh, he says, yeah, I bet. Your eyes look like eight balls. A couple of eight balls. <laughs> um, 
but uh, you know that he's taken all of the zero matter for himself. He keeps repeating, "I'm not well." Man, Freddie, bring in the levity to here uh, to the scene. Uh, you're gonna puke. Do it outside the car. Um, but what has um, Wilk seen? Just blackness. And uh, they had both seen the Isodyne footage. No one comes back. Why you? Uh, his eyes revert to a more natural state, um, but he is not getting better. Um, Manfredi, of course, agrees with the doctor. You know, he looks, uh, he still looks kvotes back there. And, um, you know, he does not trust what's going on, but he trusts Whitney. Uh, Jason does know one thing. He's not safe around people and he wants out. Um, and... Uh, it's odd, but not outside the story to show that his powers are so weak compared to Whitney. So again, it's a situation of, I know how we got here where he is unwell and overcome and all of that. They've explained it that just for whatever reason, because of the flourish of the story, because of the, the mystery of the zero matter, it's having different effects. And I'm there with it. It's just like, it seems narratively convenient that the, the villainess has has gotten a, a dose of it and now is more villainous and this nice guy has gotten it and now it does nothing it just seems like they started with their archetypes and worked backwards and that they go to check out uh carter and jarvis in the back of the truck of course we already know they're not there uh hey joe he's your guy you need to deal with it and he shoots the tough who was responsible for that okay and man freddie is hot he's got sand in his shorts and uh he wants to go home just get back in the car and shut your mouth dr wilkes peter reminds me of a job we worked once hot sand in the shorts time to go home uh but meanwhile we return back to the peggy and jarvis uh verbal fight she asserts her right to to run the op while jarvis plays the wounded wife card this all just feels terribly unrestrained and terribly un-British. I don't know, Pete. Maybe British people do actually have feelings like this. Perhaps our pal Ian in the UK with that wonderful zort.co.uk could could tell us, do they have the feelings? Uh, I, I kid, of course. It, it just seemed slightly outside the restraint of their characters. But again, not unbelievable, just a little unusual. Uh, anyhow, Peggy then schools Jarvis as viewing her national security vocation uh, that, you know, she, she views it as this, this highly important thing. And Jarvis views it as a lark and a game. She knows the price of her duty to God and country and Haley Atwell, ladies and gentlemen, whatever other sins this episode might have, it's not in this scene and her wonderful monologue. Matt TV drama is based around conflict it is the principle upon all of these stories uh is built and you have to have this conflict between margaret carter and edwin jarvis in the desert some of it funny in terms of their lines but where i take issue with it and again we're going to back this up with some with some viewer and some listener response in our uh, mailbag segment is what changes the conversation. 
they go back and forth at one another. Peggy tells him that he, he used this for his personal uh, vendetta. Uh, Jarvis gives her hard time about having saved Dottie and his wife paid the price. Um, and ultimately, where does it come down to after she delivers this, you know, terse, uh, pretty good speech about, you know, how he can go back to, to another man's mansion and live blissful, uh, that there are consequences, that you blame me for choices, that, that she's paid a hundred times over. And what breaks it, okay, is that um, Anna can't have children after her injuries, and that flips it. And I think narratively, Matt, and even worse, from a character standpoint, it's an extraordinary oversight that you tell a woman, the woman I'm with can't have children, and, and oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Everything I said, the mean things all I said there, because you just brought up fertility, that was bad. It is difficult to argue with the idea that here, Peggy is giving a very professional uh, synopsis of the situation vis-a-vis -vis her role as, as, as a protector of, you know, this country, of Western democracy. I mean, I don't think that's putting too, too fine a point on it. And to have her, to have her, you know, essentially say, well, sorry, I shouldn't have said all that because you brought up, you brought up you know, female, female reproduction, it, 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 it does, it, it does seem to strike hollow. It really, really does. Yes. We are sympathetic towards Jarvis and, and this secret, which at this point he's keeping from his wife. Yes. He calls himself a coward and yes, it hurts us because it's true and we don't want it to be, but somebody is writing this and, and I'm, I, I share with you, Pete, the concern that this is not the way to best, uh, elevate Agent Peggy Carter. These are two tremendous actors. These are two wonderful characters that have a extraordinary relationship, unlike really any scene on TV. You know, a, a a butler and a and a secret agent who doesn't work with the 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 butler directly. It's it's very unusual, and they they have this kinship that that really struck people when Anna was shot last week and, you know, to hold hands and sit on a bench and, and not have any of it be sexual, uh, in, in any nature ever, um, that it, that it's a true friendship and yeah, you're going to fight with friends and, and things are going to be said and, and things aren't always going to be, um, you know, backed up or, or have good intentions behind them, but to, to do it, this way, I, you know, the, the show is largely well-written, but this isn't the way I would have gone. And I don't think this was well-written as, all right, boom, we're going to, we're going to throw that she can't have children on the table. Now I'll make you regret everything you just said. Even if one disagrees with this analysis, Pete, here's how the act ends. This great, uh, intelligence professional uh, has taken them a whopping five feet off the road, which results in them being found by Whitney's truck to end the act, which that certainly speaks, uh, I think, to hand of the writer. After the act break, the truck arrives, 
and uh, a bit of fun here. Uh, well, I'll take off the, the 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 waggy finger here. Peggy is obviously playing sick prisoner. There's a reason, Pete, that it's a it's an oldie but a goodie. It's because it's what one does in a situation like this. It works. A few judo chops later, she's dispatched one baddie and then pulled a gun on the other. And uh, as he says, "Oh crap!" Yeah. Oh crap! Indeed. What's the plan? Well, you need to be with your wife. Uh, and like that, we're whisked to the SSRLA headquarters where uh, Masters barges in to the, uh, the little prison, the little stockade they've got there and asks Agent Veda why uh, you care to explain why these guys are not in a shallow grave, which I thought was a little over the top inside the bureau. <laughs> there must not be anybody listening. Um, I I have to agree. I think that it's in line with an episode that's looking to hit its marks and uh, is perhaps spilling a bit readily ink along the way. Um, there's a funny moment as Thompson offers up uh, Sousa and uh, and uh, Aloysius first first name basis here. Um, uh, to fix the gamma cannon and Masters finds that intriguing. Um and. Again, it's kind of these shifting sands with Thompson here, but he says that he is offering order, and I think that that's an interesting proposition, that there's so much influx here, and it's time to kind of find rock bottom. Yeah, and by the time the device in the lockup coming up, the gamma cannon, um, that these two can repair it, uh, now we're going to get to turning Masters, who is not willing to step to uh to the beat that whitney is putting down to turn on her um and the kinship of uneasy at that of susa uh and thompson and throw in there samberly who will do whatever you want um in terms of fixing the camera the camera the cannon <clears throat> and uh Best part of this scene, Matt, when uh, Masters refers to Sousa as Andy Hardy over there. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Masters happy that everybody's on the same page. He has the line, congratulations, boys, now get to work. With him gone, there's then the reveal of Thompson being on the inside with Sousa and Samberly here. So good news, Pete. They've gone from narrative mud to clarity. That's the end of any confusion there. The punch in the desert was uh, to sell it, of course. And over at the uh, dump, check that, waste management facility. Hey! Joseph has perfectly procured for his lady friend, Whitney. Uh, Wilkes is strapped to a table there. He uh, explains at this point he's having difficulty fighting it much longer. Uh, he needs to get rid of the zero matter. Um, but Whitney uh, is ready and she wants to take it from him. With a giant needle, no less. Yes. Act end. After the act break, Pete, we're back in the SSR and uh, there's a full contingent of extras sitting at desks. Very special. Uh, this as Peggy Carter arrives. She goes straight to Sousa's office where where uh, Masters is, proceeds to give Masters a left hook and keeps on beating him till Sousa and Thompson arrive. Kind of surprised they went there with this. 
uh, and savagely so, but uh, you you get it in terms of them coming around. No, he's he's in on it. Uh, they can't kill Vernon now. He's integral to the plan, um, but she's not in the habit of climbing into bed with snakes. Um, they want to stop Whitney and uh, Vernon explains he has no interest in uh, in Peggy, uh, doesn't have to kill her, um, that they all have dirt on one another. And he warns them, you take me down, I will take you with me. Uh, this the unbruised masters, by the yes. way. <laughs> um, but, but I did like. I mean, look, if it, we know that this is a, a a fictional story, it's been constructed by writers. I kind of do like the 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 standoff mentality of we all have dirt on everyone uh, else in this room. Therefore, we are mutually aligned to stop the lady who kills with black space goop. Vernon points out, though, Matt, that Carter's a smart girl. She's going to play ball um, back at the waste management facility. Not a drop of the black space goop has been extracted. Man, Freddie is the voice of reason here. He wants to uh, give Wilkes a rest that his heart will give out. And uh, Whitney points out that we're not shaking him down for money, but they've used scalpels. They've used needles. Um, she tells him, you know, you can give it to me, the zero matter, if you choose and he points out it will kill you. Pete, correct me if I'm wrong. I know he has the syringe in his chest. I know that there's a an engine of some sort. Um, is the syringe connected to anything? I don't think so. And maybe if they connected a tube, all the black matter would just come pouring out. Um, I just kept looking and looking and saying, how do they expect to extract something with the presumed vacuum pump when it's not connected to the syringe? I wasn't quite clear on on the mechanics of that. All I know is, Matt, for the story's sake, this needle was going to take stuff out of him. Fair enough. Uh, with that, Thompson arrives, and Pete, there's some male peacocking between Joe Manfredi and Jack Thompson. And, hey, Manfredi's going to grab some supper, then head home. Is that just an excuse to have him not be in the room anymore? I think it was. You know, they reference his... his jealousy um but i can't imagine he would have left there uh but whitney's in on this where's my cannon it's at the ssr vernon plans to use it on you but uh he has of course another idea um he's gonna deliver it with vernon and uh he wants more matt jack thompson does he wants a seat on the council Darn it, show. Can we just please pick a side for this guy? To me, it just feels like sloppy soap opera writing at this point. This reversal back and forth and back and forth. I know it, on the one hand it reads as unpredictable, but it's like, give me, give me one side or the other or mystery. Don't give me both sides and mystery as we end the act. Act break over, Carter sees Thompson, and uh, this is presumably a bit of ways away from the waste management facility, and she asks Jack if uh, if Whitney bought the ruse. Darn it! Now I don't know who's rusing who. <laughs> There's ruse everywhere. It, it was a lot of the back and forth, and 
I, I can't imagine how many note cards strewn on a pegboard it took to keep track of Thompson's vacillation back and forth. You know what it is, Matt? They decided, <laughs> I mean this facetiously, but, you know, Peggy's uh, back and forth between the the suitors uh being the subject of the of the musical number at the beginning of the episode that was a metaphor for what thompson would do actually in this episode pete thompson's vacillation we're not saying that he shouldn't be allowed to have kids either Jeez, a little little humor there but anyhow our team such as it is assembles and talks about the dangers of the gamma core spelled out there's also mention of a a red button you know, with, with Vern in there, Pete, yes. it's red. <laughs> the trigger, uh, just like him. Uh, Peggy doesn't like this too much. It can go wrong, um, but they can count on Vernon doing what's best for Bern- Vernon. Of course, Matt, Sousa's car won't start. The fuel line's been cut, and that was Vernon, or was it? I, Samberly. I don't know who's on what side at this point. <laughs> Samberly is back in the office and he's yet again attempting to impress Rose. They need his car. Um, and they've figured out the plan. What's the plan? Spit it out, Alulicious, that they're going to turn the gamma cannon into a bomb. The chief Thompson told him to do it. Um, oh, darn it. I just give up at this point. <laughs> there's a remote trigger. He could rig it in three minutes, uh, but he's got to do it in two. Go now. Um, and nothing like, you know, that happening, fussing with a uh, remote trigger to Edwin Jarvis fussing over Anna. Yeah, odd pacing here. And it's not that I'm uh, uninvested in the Jarvis and Anna story and situation, but to go from there's a bomb, there's a remote bomb, there's a block to the remote bomb, there's who can we trust? Everybody race to the, you know, to to, to, to the climax. We then move to the hospital. Jarvis is ready to take Anna home. There's some oddly timed recap about Wilk's situation and Peggy's situation. Why at this point in the episode, I don't know. Um, and we also have Jarvis avoiding telling Anna about her condition. And they dance around it, and then he's ready to tell her the truth. And the camera moves out into the hall, their voices inaudible, because inaudible makes it more authentic, right? I loved the shot. I love that it's unspoken on screen, yet we clearly know they're talking about it. Um, I get the recap. Anna is genuinely interested in, you know, where's Miss Carter? Is Wilk safe? Um, there's the distraction of taking a holiday up the Pacific coast highway, but you know, that's the red herring and Anna knows, wait, you hate holiday. Something is up. You haven't been truthful. This has been a through line of Jarvis avoiding the, uh, difficult conversation and glossing over the danger with, uh, his wife. And now he's got to tell her how he has the news she's been a casualty of these adventures these larks as peggy called them um i i like that 
she had the cost for, you know, there's a collateral damage for him. And I think it, it best worked unsaid on screen. I, I, I respectfully disagree, Pete. I think that actors act and I would have loved to see in, in this series, which explores the female condition. I would have loved to, to, uh, to see Anna and, and to see her actress go through that thought process, that reveal. Um, I fear that for for the sake of a flashy camera move or narrative speed, uh, that's why we move outside. Uh, but regardless, uh, the story moves back to Whitney's lab where the remote bomb detonator isn't working just as uh, Peggy has zipped away to end the act. Our sixth and final act, Matt, begins with Carter taking out one guard. Uh, There's discussion inside amongst uh, Whitney and um, Thompson that uh, Sousa was a half mile away when he shot the gamma cannon that you could only use it once. Uh, But Dr. Wilkes has Whitney's zero matter. She's got to get it at any uh, possible cost. Uh, Vernon's going to show her how it works. Uh, Carter takes out another guard. She finds Jason on the table who tells her she needs to go. Um, but the bomb has been set. He can't hold it off much longer. Um, she maintains he's a good man, but he explains the things he did. It was not the zero matter. It was of his own volition. Uh, meanwhile, there's uh, a feature that Vernon Masters is going to show Whitney on the Gamma Cannon, but of course, with her technical and scientific expertise, she sniffs out the ruse, shuts it off. She almost believed Masters here. Thompson suddenly has a gun on her, and Masters uh, on on Masters. I'm sorry, and uh, Masters employs Jackie that he uh he doesn't want him to do this. He didn't think he had it in him. He he masters almost seems glad that uh Jack is manning up for for a team evil, uh, albeit not the Vernon Masters team evil. Meanwhile, Peggy helps Jason to the door and Jason locks her out. She has been and ever shall be his friend. How funny I wrote <laughs> Dr. Wilkes Spock door moment <laughs> in my notes. Well, Pete, you know, it, it you gotta call, gotta call a spade a spade. And uh with that, he also starts to crack with the zero matter. And uh outside somberly has fixed the blocker, and Sousa looks on tensely. Um I'm not completely sure whether I'm for all the quick cutting back and forth. It's something that we see a lot in Shield. It certainly works for pace. And in that these are parallel story points, it is authentic in that we're we're roughly spelling out the uh, the the you know the way things are occurring in in real time, if you will. I'm just not a huge fan of it. I don't. I, I think it kind of kind of affects the narrative thrust a bit, but it's not a it's not a heavy criticism. Anyhow, we go back inside where Jack has the gun on Masters, and it's noted that uh, Masters answers to men more powerful than him all day. Certainly an interesting bit of perspective there, Pete, that uh, Masters is not the end-all and be-all, but actually way down on the food chain. He is a cog in a much bigger machine. Um, Whitney offers Thompson the honors, 
but uh, he's heard that her way is a lot cleaner, uh, which I was surprised. And again, not knowing where he is, if he's still good or he's bad or he's both or he's not either uh, leaving uh, Vernon in with Whitney. He goes outside and produces a button. Nothing will happen, though. Carter. Oh, I wonder if that's a metaphor. Anyhow, um, suddenly, Pete, we are with Jack 100%. Despite all this vacillating, he could take out the powerful but corruptible Jason. He could take out Whitney's expanding evil, and he could end Master's machinations. How in the world are we now viewing Peggy and Sousa as on the wrong side of things? He talks about the hard choice, that he's the only one willing to make it, and I'm right there with him, that that this is the shot to take. But Peggy's pointing to an innocent person being in there uh, in Wilkes, um, that uh, Vernon should be brought to justice. But, you know, despite those ethics, I really don't see how you can't think that uh, Thompson's way isn't the right way. Uh, Samberly uh, fixes the, uh, the thing there. Um, and Peggy draws on Jack. Pete, these are, let's not forget, three veterans of World War II. Uh, unquestionably have taken lives before, uh, either either as established in, in various episodes or movies or, or just by inference. Um, it's, it's, it, it's dirty business to take one's life, and I appreciate that they're treating it with kind of you know due respect here but but they all know what it means to take a life in an area that's gray but leaning towards the bad and to me i just don't get it and pete i don't like feeling like i'm hashtag team thompson (laughs) um with vernon inside there whitney uh using the black matter on him the zero matter um he's explaining and of course, it seems to work uh, a little differently with the uh, special effects as he's given the time to talk uh, that the boy that Thompson just doesn't have the juice. Why is he smiling? They got you too, lady. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Wilkes comes in. Boom. What lunkheads deserve some time in the joint? This list of baddies will tell us just that, Pete. Let's start with Whitney. Whitney Frost here towards the end game, not having been the one chosen by the Zero Matter to have been brought into the Vortex. She is desperate at any turn to get her hands on this. We see it with what she puts poor Wilkes through. Uh you know, sniffing out, of course, with her abilities, the the gamma bomb. Um, I'm interested to see how they resolve her story. I am too, because she's an imperfect villain, but an incredibly compelling one. It's wonderful to see uh, to see a a villain like this, who's somebody who is so incredibly smart, who's bursting through the glass ceiling somebody who's turned uh, the gender expectations and roles of the time completely around 
and uh, though though there hasn't been a lot of that in the last two episodes, it's it's gotten us to where we are now, and uh, hopefully to a successful resolution next week. Joseph Manfredi continues to get some of the uh, most stereotypical yet uh, you know tension breaking lines on the show. Um, here, bringing in, come on, Matt, what's what's more stereotypical than you know a waste management facility? In 1947. Hey, it's uh, all just not connected. It's uh, just taking the garbage away. Um, but uh, again, credit to Ken Marino uh, selling us on the character. The only problem I had, I think we both did, that the guy would, would leave for supper while, uh, you know, another attractive buck is around his lady friend. Sometimes the demands of the story take you home to some linguine. Jason Wilkes, Matt, uh, kind of like Thompson, you know, he's bad, he's good, he's bad, he's blowing up all over the place. <laughs> well, and Pete, he might now all be all over the place. Uh, you, you know, I dare say it's a daring ending of the episode for him because in a, in a different twist of the plot, it could be, and he blows up and now he's dissipated the end. Uh, that's probably not the case with uh, with forty some odd minutes left, uh, i.e., episode two ten. Um, I I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with his character as well. Is he able to to throw off this uh, you know this burden of the dark matter or or not? Well, given that he's exploded, uh, that might be difficult. But we'll we'll have to look at that in our top secret segment vernon masters matt ever the survivor um not back and forth so much like uh thompson or or wilkes but uh always willing to try to find the way in which he might benefit from a situation absolutely i was so worried that he was going to be unceremoniously killed off uh here as we've seen before with uh, with um some other characters where it's just like, oh, and that's the end. Uh, I, I think uh, of Edward James Olmos in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. last season where, all right, he's had a good run and he's dead the end. Um, I like that we get to get him for one more episode. He's been such a fabulous addition to this season. And lastly, Jack Thompson, Matt. Where is he? Who is he? I would love for them to have taken us from what I still feel was a, uh, a, a necessary note, but a, but a false note at the end of season one where he takes all the credit. It's in line with his character, but just give us, give us our Peggy moment. I would love it if they give that to us this season and for all the appreciation that we have for Chad Michael Murray and all the unappreciation that we have for Jack Thompson, it would be wonderful to see a story arc that ends with a different guy, somebody whose eyes are open a bit more. He's actually on all sides. Wow. Simultaneously. Yes. Kind of like Dr. Wilkes right now. Classified Top Secret. Holy mackerel. Time to take a gander at what the G-Men don't want you to know. And Pete... I couldn't help but watch this episode in particular as as we see Jason Wilkes dealing with the effects of the zero matter, the dark matter, and think of um, think of the Twilight Zone episode 
uh, Eye of the Beholder, which uh, previously had been titled Private World of Darkness. That's the quote-unquote pig face episode. That's an episode that is profoundly about uh, about flipping race and, and notions of race around. Here we have a, a, a culmination of Jason... Uh, being overwhelmed with blackness and overwhelmed with with uh, the power of blackness, I, I don't know that this is necessarily intentional, but I just I, I I thought it was worthy of some exploration that in a show that aside from one gas station attendant who was disapproving, a show that I think has has hit the right tone of of optimistic 1947 where race doesn't matter but we live in a world today Pete where there's conversations about race and prejudice and uh, I wondered if the show was trying to say something as as here he is trying to restrain and contain and understand this power of blackness that he has the character while african-american is representative of, of so much more and credit to the writers that by making him black and addressing it several times throughout the season you know there was the the scene uh you know a couple episodes in where they were at a pastry shop and he's being rudely treated by you know the the guy behind the counter um, I wondered the same thing too, Matt. I, it almost felt too obvious a, a word choice. Well, what did he see? Just blackness. And, you know, we live in a world where people watch uh, a musical performance at the Super Bowl and try to make it about race. Um, so I, I think, unfortunately, there there's a there's a microscope that's available now that that some people will use and and some people will exploit um for you know any statement that might be construed of uh you know a a racial undertone i suppose my my thought on the matter is this if you could have a science fiction metaphorical discussion about race in 1959 or 1960 on the Twilight Zone, uh, in that specific episode and certainly in others, then either do it in Agent Carter nowadays or don't. What I don't want is you to kind of sort of be in between where maybe it kind of is a thing or maybe it isn't. Like either make it a metaphor or, or don't and maybe they, maybe they just simply weren't, but I kind of felt that it was in this, it was in this in-between world. I think blackness as a choice of word as opposed to darkness certainly, you know, raised an eyebrow. Um, Matt, my question for you, and it's a three-part question, all stemming from the same situation. What happened to Wilkes, Whitney, and Vernon Masters? I, I cannot imagine that we have seen the last of Jason Wilkes. Uh, so working backward from that, there still was what appeared to be a pretty serious explosion out from him, just, you know, just the briefest second, but it, it looked like it was a, a, had a good wallop to it. Um, it. It would be interesting for him to have this power released and him return to normal, which I think is kind of our hope for him. 
but then that means is it up for grabs to to Whitney? That that's not looking good for us at all. Uh, although it would suit the narrative very well. So, um, as for Masters perhaps being super powered, uh, I mean that's a frightening proposition as well. Long distance. We want you to flap your lips, write a telegram, or even send us uh, the Twitter. Pete, where shall we begin in the old mailbag? We are going to begin on Facebook, Matt, where Nick Schenkel wrote in, Hey guys, been trying to figure out what bothered me about the flashback sequences a few episodes back. I think I found it. If Peggy's brother died during the war, then who is Sharon Carter's father? Ooh, um, maybe she's a, maybe it's a mother's brother's child's child or child's child child. Uh, Greg Gear uh, had also wondered the same thing and responded below. Matt, I'll ask this. Does she need to be uh, Michael's? Uh, daughter can she not be Peggy's daughter um I think the age would not work out for that um Peggy born 1920 right Sharon Carter probably uh probably let's say 30 a granddaughter. granddaughter. I, I apologize. Ah, I was thrown for the loop there. Yes, I think certainly it could, it could be a case of her granddaughter. Um, I hope that we... I mean, look, it, it is inconceivable that we would not have this resolved in Captain America Civil War where, uh, that, where it, it is likely to be Peggy's final story. Um, I would certainly hate for them to say something that's in contradiction to the show, uh, although I worry we're going to see things like that now that there's a, a, a larger space between Marvel films and Marvel television. Matt, we also have a new review on iTunes. This was left to uh, for us by M. Morris underscore in Philly. Uh, the headline is Love This Debrief five stars and it reads it's great listening to the host's fun take on recapping and then analyzing the agent carter episodes their take on things has greatly increased my enjoyment of the series so glad to have found them and even if we don't get another season of the show their good work will live on as a great companion to the series what a nice note there absolutely humbling humbling to hear thank you so much even from somebody who's in Philadelphia. It shows we can all get along from time <laughs> to time. Pete, this uh, final comment uh, comes to us from Hellcat on Twitter. That's uh, I'll spell her name out. Uh, it's C-O-S-I-M-A-G-E-E-K-H-A-U-S. I think it's kind of Cosimage Geek House. Um, but she go, goes by Hellcat. And uh, we had a little bit of a back and forth um, and, uh, well, here, here are her words. First, she said, just kind of out there to the Twitter sphere, uh, well, I guess I'm not watching the end of Agent Carter now. I almost regret investing my days to help it get renewed for season two. Absolutely disgusting what they did to Angie's character, and I won't even talk about Peggy. For me, Agent Carter uh, has only one season. That's that. So I responded and said, 
I don't quite get where you're coming from. Could you explain? I'm, I'm, I'm curious here. Um, so she shared her thoughts. Uh, she said, um, uh, she said, uh, for me, Peggy just doesn't seem like the same person she used to be. And it's not that it's a bad thing. People change, grow everything. But Peggy from the first season seemed more mature uh, and independent. In pain, yes, but still her own person. Now 90% of her characterization revolves around the triangle, referring to the love triangle. Most of her dialogues are about it. Her biggest issue is which guy to pick. They dedicated a musical number to it, for God's sake. And the most important female-female friendship on the show, the one that was praised by everyone, was discarded just like that. Literally not to be mentioned again aside from this little show that will happen tonight. I just can't deal with it. The season had its highlights, yes, but most of them uh, revolve around Dottie being a badass. That's the shortest version I can give. Uh, And yes, I'm aware of scheduling conflicts for Lindsay, but not mentioning her at all does not uh, sit well with me. Uh, And she says, sorry for the lack of coherence. It's been almost 1 a.m. here. Uh, Hellcat writing to us from Bosnia, Sarajevo, and coherent indeed, thoughtful indeed, and uh, while I don't share her degree of outrage, I, I appreciate so much those thoughts and that perspective. And I think it's something that we've picked up on a bit, which is this is a different show from, from last season in some ways better. Uh, but I think she also raises some really valid and interesting points. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's underscored for me with, you know, that analysis of the musical scene. And, you know, I'll, I'll come back to it. I, I think it was a great idea. I think how it's, how it's perceived, though, harms it. And what is it? It's which guy to, to pick. It's not the strong Peggy that e- even though I didn't agree with, with how she accepted the whole uh, you know, Thompson double cross last year. I know my worth. Um, you know, to to do it this way, it feels like a disservice to the character. It does. It does. I look forward to a rousing season finale, likely season finale that uh, that, that might right some finale. of these wrongs. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Pete, ending the, the Twitter comments here with a bit of levity uh, from Gearhead on Twitter. That's G-E-E-R, Head. Uh, we, were, we were stumbling over, or over what to call the, uh, the stooge that dropped the fake, uh, the fake nuclear material. He offers up Deus Ex Stoogina or Deus Ex Fumblina. You could go with either. You know, I, I just felt stooge was, was too close there. I, I like the, the Fumblina. Sounds a little bit like Fumblina. Well, Pete, from the lowest of stooges to the highest of those in glitterati fame, how can people be in touch with you? You can find me on the Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J, Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 7,102 followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the radio program by being in touch with Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH in plenty of ways. Send an electronic letter to us on the Gmail, post a note on the .com, or tweet us your telegraphs to the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH 
all one word. There's a little button there. There's a whole bunch of buttons now, little emo emojis. But the one that you need to, uh, to mash to be part of our club is the little thumbs up like button. You do that and you'll never be that far away. Indeed, Pete. Don't forget that Fantastic Geek is the way to go. With that, Pete, I'll say penultimately, perhaps, goodbye, good night, good luck, one and all. And Pete, with what wacky words will you close tonight? Right then. <laughs> <laughs>